so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. All right, welcome back. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day. We are here. We are live. We are the Disciples of Liberty. Today's show, we're going to talk about memories of the past. I think the past is important for us to remember. The problem with humanity is we tend to forget the errors of the past. It is unusual to find in our recorded history a nation of people who enjoyed the privilege of self-government. It is even more rare to find a nation who possessed this right along with believing in Christ, the Lord. Now, when a nation of people who have had the power of government placed in their hands become evil and without conscience, they will use that power to plunder and enslave one another until individual freedom is destroyed. This is a truism taught by the sages, the prophets, and it's proved out repeatedly in the history of nations that wickedness and liberty cannot exist side by side. Many will tell us that it can, that uh, good and evil can exist side by side. The problem we have in America today is men can only exercise freedom only if they possess the following. Number one, life. Number two, liberty. The absence of the restraint of others is what liberty means. Number three, property. Number four, knowledge. And number five, enticement. When men become wicked, they act to destroy these necessary elements rather than to preserve them. And freedom becomes impossible to maintain no matter what the forms of government. There is a certain law of nature in the operation which decrees that no man can act without the purpose of destroying freedom without losing his own. This is a divine law of retribution. It's easily observed in a society of self-governing people. Selfish, needful men in restraint from forcibly taking the life and liberty of property of his neighbor by two considerations, either their conscience or fear of retaliation. But when men act through government, they do so without fear of retaliation. See, we can ask our government to steal from our neighbor without our neighbor knowing that it was us that asked. So that leaves conscience alone remains uh, to curb the propensity we have to abuse power. Therefore, when a nation of people who have had the power of government placed in their hands become evil and without conscience... They will use that power to plunder and enslave one another until individual freedom is destroyed. This is a truism, as I said, that has been taught repeatedly throughout history, that 
every nation that has failed has failed because of an abuse of power. Now, there is also the equality uh, fatal to freedom is the ignorance or indifference of the voting majority. For unless they perceive with clarity that line which divides right from wrong in government action and resist with firmness any attempt to cross it, the natural tendency of men to abuse tower, power will cause those in office to enlarge their functions until liberty is crushed under the weight of a bureaucratic despotism. Therefore, a nation must not only remain moral to remain free, but it must also remain alert and informed. Furthermore, the people must have a standard by which to measure the actions of government. They must be able to distinguish with precision those functions that preserve freedom from those which destroy freedom. The standard which is used must be widely known, universally accepted to moral people and easily applied. This is what is wrong with society today. We haven't learned from our past. We haven't recognized the lessons that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And even though politicians might get elected based on inside their heart, the wanting to do good, outside sources of evil entice them, offer money. Power is one of the best aphrodisiacs. It, you want more, you crave more. And if all you need to do is steal from one of your constituents to give to other constituents to make them more happy, you can maintain that power and control over them for ultimately ever. So what is freedom? What is freedom based on biblical times? So in the book of John 8, 31, 32, uh, Christ said this, quote, If ye continue in my word, then ye may disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. From this, it appears that only those who are disciples of Christ will gain liberty and freedom. That's not saying you have to be of the same religion of me, same uh, denomination as me, but it's saying that the promise of freedom to those who will obey runs through every scripture, every scripture from uh, different books, different religions. There's always been, according to our founding fathers, a certain relationship between righteousness and freedom. On the one hand, the evil and denial of freedom. On the other hand, which allows us to define good and evil strictly in the terms of whether the act in question increases or decreases freedom. So we have a measuring stick. Is what our politicians doing increasing freedom or decreasing freedom? If what they're doing is decreasing freedom like the NDAA or anything even close to that, then they are serving evil means, and we have to put a stop to it. But as I said, we, we tend not to want to follow uh, history. We, we don't want to learn. Men have exercised, people have exercised unrighteous dominion upon each other through the agency of government. In just as many ways as they can when acting outside its framework. The most 
common method used by governments and by people who want to utilize government is compulsory charity. Government can give nothing to one person unless it first takes something from someone else. This taking is usually in the form of taxes, which the taxpayer is compelled to pay at the risk of having his property taken by force. How would you regard compulsory charity if performed without being legalized? Uh, this is the question. When you look at compulsory charity and, and people uh, utilizing government to take from them, look at the CARES Act. Look at how many different checks government has given people because of COVID and government closing down businesses, making more people dependent on the CARES Act and the checks from government. We're on like, a, what, our fourth, fifth uh, set of stealing from the people who are still working and giving it to others? Suppose it was suggested to, the, to you that you join a group who were going to use force to take part of the property from a wealthy citizen. A, either give it to B, your neighbor, who had but little or divided among your group who were also poor. Would it violate your conscience to do this? This is a question you have to pose to yourself. Would it violate your conscience to take and utilize government to uh, take by force? Not government, but to get a mob or militia to go steal from your neighbor. Would you be okay with it? Um, Or applying the golden rule. Put yourself in A's shoes. That person has already given all he desires to charity. Are you not violating his freedom when you compel him to give more just because he can afford more? Would you enjoy having someone dictate to you how much you need to give to a neighbor? Would you like it if I told you right now to get in your savings account, take 50% of it, and walk next door and give it to your neighbor? Would you do it? Uh, Would you enjoy people telling you what you have to give to a hospital or a college? Would not this be a plain case of theft? And if you pass a law and legalize the taking and giving, have you really changed the essential nature of the act? Has it become non-theft because you're utilizing government to do it for you? Haven't you just merely legalized stealing by having government do it? Another problem which should worry those favoring compulsory charity is this. How much of A's property should be taken? When they say tax the rich, should it be 10%, 20 or even more? What answer are you going to give to the socialists and communists who propose taking 100% of what you make and then returning to you only what you need, not what you've earned? Is there any valid moral distinction between taking a half or taking all? It is not an exercise of unrighteous dominion to forcibly take a property from one to whom it belongs and give it to, le- to another to whom it doesn't belong. Each person must let his own conscience determine this. This is the problem we have in America today. There are those who will insist that some people absolutely must receive assistance and that we simply cannot allow them to starve. It is hoped that everyone will agree to this and when we observe anyone suffering from want, we will administer to their needs. But stating this uh, as a matter of fact in the forum does not recognize the extremely important moral problem of taking, which is unavoidably a part of government charity. Let us restate that proposition so to include the entire moral question. If you saw one person in need, 
and another with plenty, would you use force to compel a more equal division? Would it violate your conscience to physically coerce one neighbor to share his means with another? So see you are walking downtown or your main street, and you see a person standing outside with the sign, you know, in trouble, been sick, out of work, please give me money. And he's standing outside a business, and the business owner in there looks to be doing well. And he sells food, and he sells equipment, and cell phones, and and all the knickknacks in life you'd want. So you get a few buddies, you walk inside that store, you take the TV, you take the cell phone, you take a bunch of food, you open the cash register, you take money, you take it outside and give it to the person. Is this theft or is it charity? Well, when you require government to tax that person extremely high to give to the things that you believe should be given, then it's basically still theft, Most people would agree that each person has their own moral obligation to be charitable, right? It's morally right for us to compel, um, but the question is, is it morally right for us to compel others to be as charitable as we think they should be? It is not rather our moral obligation to allow them to determine for themselves how much they shall give. If those who are wealthy fail to voluntarily impart their substance to to the poor, Will they be judged in an afterlife or are you going to judge them and seize what they have? This is your question because if we start forcing charity, which we're doing now in America, where does it end? Now, there's all kinds of charity and and people will use the argument, well, look at the large corporation who have benefited off of government and these people that have gotten rich through improper means. Yes, that's wrong. But do you make a wrong right by going and taking from them? Or is it just corrupting your soul? Is it making you a worse person because you wanted to balance nature out by taking from them and giving it to back to others? The next thing is government-enforced monopolies. It's an ex- extremely questionable but common practice to use the police power to give ourselves Uh, monopolies, protection against competitors, right? This would be called a criminal conspiracy and branded as extortion if forcibly engaged in without government protection and approval. Today, in our country, monopoly protection is afforded by the police power in nearly every line of economic activity, in professions, in trades, in transportation, in communication, in agriculture, in labor, in finance, bankings, and almost every other uh, possible thing you can think of. How does a vast system of government enforced monopoly stand the conscience test and the application of the golden rule of God? If we desire for ourselves the freedom to enter a trade or occupation, When and where we choose, we should allow every other person the same right. If we believe we should be left free to purchase goods or services from any person who offers them for sale, how can we forcibly restrict the freedom of other members of the buying public and still live the golden rule? This is a question we have to ask ourselves. When we institute 
um, protection for Facebook or for Twitter to do what they want to do and pass laws to protect them, we're creating monopolies through government. Uh, Men will always use a variety of arguments to justify the use of police power to restrict competition. Some claim there's overproduction of the commodity or service they are offering. Uh, But when one considers the millions who are classified as paupers in every nation on earth with death from want in many places, how can it be asserted that there is an oversupply of anything um, when it comes to production? There are raw materials and energy in abundance, but man's desire for the finished product is insatiable and always exceeds the supply of the manufacturers. Uh, Still, others will use the argument that open competition in their field should be prohibited because if this were not done, the unlearned, the unskilled, and the inexperienced would be serving the public. This is what we get when we have to license every trade. Technically, if you don't license a barber or hairstylist and you go to that barber or hairstylist and they do an awful job, you're going to tell people that they did an awful job and nobody's going to use them. So you basically shut down that business because the business performs an inadequate service. Unfortunately, we would rather have government regulate everything and make it that they make the choices for us who can give you an adequate haircut, per se. It is also impossible to reach agreement among ourselves who should be given the power to set up the qualifications for engaging in a given economic activity and force their views on all others. Some may contend that those already engaged in a profession, trade, or business should have this privilege. Others would consider the power upon some agency or government, like the EPA or the FCC or even the FEC. You know, it's just we we create these agencies to oversee certain industries because we lack the ability to just allow people to be free. Um, There's an enormous amount of regulation, of the private and business affairs of the people carried on by government at our own expense, command and with our approval. We have to examine our conscience about the morality of what we are doing to each other, but we don't do that. We never ask ourselves those difficult questions. What are we doing in this country to enhance freedom among our family, friends, and neighbors? These are important questions, and this is what I do sometimes. I just ponder the lessons we haven't learned from the past. I remember my school days. I don't remember learning about the Constitution in school, but I had a tremendous love of history. I had a tremendous love for Greek history, for Roman history, for the Mayans, for our own history, for the Old West. I just loved and and started reading and researching But my generations of the 70s and 80s who went to school, we didn't learn from the past. We didn't learn from history. We wanted to change the dynamics for our children. We didn't want our children, you know, I remember playing sports and I remember, 
you know, getting the trophy if we won. And I remembered being left out and watching another team get the trophy if they won. So my generation didn't want our kids to feel like losers. So we started making trophies for everybody, participation awards. There is no winners or losers in life. Unfortunately, if freedom truly exists, if you want to live in a free world, then inequality exists. And some people have higher ambition than other people. And they will strive harder and risk more and gamble more to become more successful. Should we punish people for being more successful? Some people would say, well, we should punish people for being more successful if the government helped them gain their success. It's an argument that's hard to fight because too many people for too long in this country have been utilizing this uh, reward system. If you have funded a politician, then you should be able to utilize that politician to enhance your business. One of the best investment things I can give an upstart company is invest in a politician. Donate the max to the politician. Make sure you you let him know personally you gave him the max because they'll call you every year. And then you basically gain favors from that person. You've bought a share of a congressman or U.S. senator. This is the problem with politics for money in our nation today. When we get back, we're going to examine more history. We're going to look at the comparison of, you know, there used to be a comparison between God and Satan, right? On the one hand, you had the Lord. On the other hand, you had Satan. In these days, we have the same comparisons, except they're called communism on the one hand and free agency on the other. So we have to decide because we have two documents. We have the United States Constitution and the Communist Manifesto, and I've done shows on both. They're available for comparison. Simplifies the problem of distinguishing right from wrong in government. The two systems proposed by these documents are the very antithesis of each other. They contradict and oppose each other at every point. While the Constitution provides a federal system with powers of government first divided between the state and the national and with the second division between the legislative, executive, and judicial, and then we have the communist form in a single centralized, all-powerful dictatorship. Whereas the Constitution contains a Bill of Rights and other detailed limitations upon the power of government over the individual, the communist state has no restraints whatsoever. While the Constitution guarantees citizens the right to elect their own political leaders and to make alterations in their laws, communism denies all rights of self-government. But there is one basic objective to which communism is committed, which stamps it as the mortal enemy of the form of government we have in America today, the form of government set up by the founders. That is its unilateral opposition to the right of private property. And we'll discuss this. But folks, you're listening to the America Out Loud Network. Why is the America Out Loud Network important? It's because it's one of the last free bastions for conservatives. I always love this, that the woke 
generation out there is saying they're being silenced. If anybody's being silenced in the world today, it's evangelical, it's Christians, and it's conservatives. We've been shut out by all forms of media. That's why media like America Out Loud is so important to the Disciples of Liberty and so important to us today to share messages. So if my show's not it for you, there are plenty of other hosts who might have the same passions that you have. Find them. Share their message. Get on your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your Instagram, and share their messages so more people are learning what it means to be free, to live free in a world that is losing the basic tenets of freedom. This is what's important to me. This is why I'm here. This is why I do the shows. You might not agree with me, but I want to hear from you anyway. Liberty at AmericaOutloud.com. And until then, I'll see you on the other side of the show. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up? for what is right and to show our support. That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together. And we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. All right, welcome back, Disciples of Liberty. Hope you're having a fantastic day today as we are discussing history. 
what we haven't learned. Part of history is the Communist Manifesto that came out hundreds of years ago. And we look at this, that we talked about the Constitution expressly guarantees the protection of rights uh, of property in the same clause in which it protects the rights of life and liberty. And it denies government the power to take from the individual his private property for public use without just compensation. On the other hand, you have the Communist Manifesto, the tool and the weapon of the Democrats today. Uh, It desires and declares that the destruction of private property is the primary and basic aim of communism. It says, in the sense and theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. And still another place in the, manif- in the manifesto, we find this. The communist revolution is the most radical rupture with traditional property relations. Not only does the manifesto declare its main purpose to be the destruction of private property, but it contains a detailed plan by which this is to be accomplished in the nation such as the United States, whose laws and constitution were designed to protect these rights. The the method proposed is not violent and bloody revolution, at least at the outset, but the peaceful and legal process of inducing the citizens of the United States and other nations to destroy the rights themselves with their own legislatures, courts, and executives. We are to adopt a series of laws which will inevitably have this result. Listen to the manifesto as it unfolds its plan. Quote, We have seen above that the first step in the revolution by the working class is to raise the proletariat to the position of ruling class to establish democracy. The proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest by degree all capital from property owners, to centralize all instruments of production in the hands of the state. This naked appeal to the selfishness of the voter to use the government for an instrument of plunder is nothing but a proposal for legalized theft. The manifesto goes on to say, Of course, in the beginning, this cannot be affected except by means of despotic inroads on the rights of property and on the conditions of production by property owners. These measures will, of course, be different in different countries. Nevertheless, in the most advanced countries, the following will be pretty generally applicable. Then follows the 10 points that I went over on another show that you can find in a podcast of the Communist Manifesto. They constitute a blueprint for legislative uh, action. They are, in essence, a political platform to be adopted over a period of time which culminates in the complete destruction of private property. Yet, as a nation... We allow this. Now, we're talking about memories from the past, voices from the dust, right? Uh, It speaks to modern America about government. Uh, We have secret combinations in Washington, D.C. that hope to uh, destroy where we are today. We have political people, corporations, judges, everybody that want to step up and take liberty from us. And this is scary to me. 
You know, we've heard people talk of secret combinations before. Both Democrats and Republican presidents of the past, John F. Kennedy, uh, Ronald Reagan, they all mentioned this. And what have we learned from it? We haven't done anything to step up and stand up and fight against what's going on in our in our world because they utilize the things that we consider important to us. Uh, they want us to use government to take away what uh, what we have. A civilization we can learn from is Rome, from the past again. Rome did not collapse in a pile of fire and ashes. Just getting sacked by barbarians didn't spell the end of Rome. It died out peacefully over hundreds of years from dozens of decisions that probably seemed like great ideas at the time by their people, right? As the different parts of Rome started feuding over religious changes and economic problems, it got split up into parts a few times before it officially became two different empires in 364 AD. A little over 100 years later, the Western Empire completely fell to the hands of barbarians and the lines of Europe started looking like crude early versions of the modern map we have today. Even that, though, wasn't the real end of Rome. The Eastern Empire, known as the the Byzantine Empire, lived on for more than a thousand years after the split. And Rome survived the the Sansean War, the Muslim Conquest, even the Crusades before they were finally absorbed by the Ottoman Empire. It took a thousand years for Rome to die. It wasn't over... In a second, they stopped being the world's biggest superpower. They lingered on for centuries. Their quality of life slowly changed, and most of their people were probably unaware that they were living through the fall of an empire, sort of like where we are today. But we haven't existed for thousands of years, have we, here in America? Uh, We've been around a lot shorter. So what can we learn from the past, like Rome, that... uh, we can utilize in our lives today and and recognize the taking over of socialism and communism. At its peak, money was rushing into the Roman Empire. The emperors and the government were basking in this absolute avalanche of wealth that helped them control the better part of the known world, right? But just because the nation had money didn't mean that the Roman people were getting rich. Instead of hiring their own people, the Romans got started outsourcing the stuff. They got foreign slaves to do their work. A massive part of their production was being done by by foreigners, which left the actual citizens with not a whole lot to do. The Romans were unemployed, relying on government subsidies and handouts just to survive. Uh, Modern companies can't get away with hiring slaves these days in America. They can in India and China, but they can come pretty close. Modern companies today outsource the vast majority of things they buy to sweatshops that sometimes pay as little as 64 cents an hour to the children working in their factories. Approximately, and this was at the time this this, uh, Roman article was written, 60% plus of the things Americans bought were made overseas. I would currently say that 80% 
80% of what is done in America is currently made outside of America. Most of the world's clothes is made in China. Uh, Most of the cell phones in the world are made in China. The real lesson from Rome, though, is what might happen next, because Rome's setup didn't last forever. People started to demand more and revolted. Meanwhile, the people of Rome, influenced by this morality, started feeling bad about utilizing other people to do their labor. The labor system started to collapse. Since labor was the backbone of their entire country, everything else went down with it. Now, we look at obesity in America, and I'm going to compare it to Rome. The average Roman wasn't, in today's modern terms, obese. Uh, A lot of Roman civilians struggled just to get food, but the emperors, the leaders, were a different story. The rich of Rome spent so much time having feasts and orgies that it actually became common practice to throw up mid-meal to keep the party going. After watching Emperor Nero and his friends have a feast, the philosopher Seneca wrote that the wealth of Rome vomit that they may eat and eat that they may vomit. But it wasn't just Nero. Julius Caesar once escaped an assassination attempt because he stepped out to vomit up his mill. Uh, They all had this. In the modern world, poor people in wealthy countries usually become obese. Why is this? If we have this poor society that can't afford to eat, why are they becoming overweight, especially in urban cities and in the American South? Um, In some states, type 2 diabetes rates are twice as high as they were 20 years ago. Uh, In fact, it's stated that over one-third of the population in America today is obese. The real lesson from Rome, though, is that having too much turns people against you. The reason these stories about lavish Roman emperors having been passed on for so long is because their people wanted to make them look bad. One group of people was gorging themselves while the other group starved. All that was won by wealthy was uh, resentment, wars, and a lot of health problems. We're having the same things today. We have a lot of people that don't have as much as other people looking at the people with excess in their minds and hating them because of their money. Uh, No other reason than their money. When Rome was a republic, one of its biggest international problems was the fight between the rich and the poor. Uh, The rich were the aristocrats who had got their status by birth while the poor were the common people who had no way of making a better life at the time. Uh, Like our modern societies, the uh, the poor fought for the right to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They won equal rights, got the opportunity to play a role in Roman politics, and had the chance to make it rich. They helped each other get wealthy, voted their fellow uh, poor people into power, and then sat back and waited for their friends to make a new utopia of equality. It didn't pan out. The newly rich didn't do much to help out their old friends. They just splurged with all their money and enjoyed life as rich people. Uh, The poor didn't realize that right away, though. For a while, things were actually better. They thought their new government was working, but it turned out to be an economic boom brought on by war. When the nation dipped back into recession, they were poorer than ever. The poor stayed poor, the rich stayed rich, 
And the rare few who broke the mold didn't do a thing to help out the former poor because they forgot where they came from. One of the biggest lessons we can learn and that our founders warned us about is people that are in debt are easier to control. After Rome was sacked by the Gauls, the Republic had to funnel a fortune into defense. Taxes went up, the poor went bankrupt, and the people of Rome were soon overwhelmed with so much debt that they couldn't see any way out of it. It's something that ought to sound familiar to most of us. Uh, For example, look at the American students. Our politicians want them to leave college with debt. That's not even the worst case. In Australia, Switzerland, Norway, Netherlands, and Denmark, the average person's debt is more than twice their annual income. But how many of the politicians are telling us we want to be like these governments? Like a lot of us today, the poor of Rome lobbied their government for debt forgiveness. And the government listened, just like they're listening today. Now that the lower classes were politically equal, the politicians started pandering to them. Populist leaders promised bread and circuses, in other words, entertainment, food, and debt relief. What are the Democrats talking about today? Food, debt release, entertainment. Uh, The poor were so desperate to feed their families that they didn't care what a politician did just as long as he canceled their debt. So they started voting for leaders like Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus. Since the bread and circuses kept coming, the poor didn't get too worried when the election stopped. They didn't even notice it. Uh, The other thing they had to learn is a lesson that Chinese officials warned about the United States, that our national debt was getting so out of control. America, the official complained, was selling too many treasury bonds. It was increasing the national debt in a way that would collapse the entire economy. America wasn't just selling bonds. In the official words, the country was printing money. That's a move that ruined Rome. As the empire got bigger and as expenses got higher, Emperor Nero came up with the bright idea of using less silver in Roman coins. That way he could print more money. And if Nero could print more money, he figured he would have enough to make that Scrooge McDuck money pool he'd been dreaming of all his life. The idea didn't ruin everything overnight, but Nero's successors copied him. And of course, inflation went wild. Over the next 200 years, the price increased 200-fold and Roman coins became almost completely worthless. Whether America is really printing money is up for debate by a lot of people. Democrats and politicians say they're not. But they're definitely putting off all the money problems for later generations. Despite having the highest GDP in the world, the USA has the highest debt in the world. We are exceeding debt levels every year. It's just crazy. Uh, The next country with the most debt is the European Union. Uh, That's the entire European Union, which is 28 countries combined. The other thing Rome talked about was 
How was Rome able to stand its ground against massive empires? The Romans fought against Greece and Egypt and won. The greatest and most advanced societies fell at their feet, but Rome still got crushed by barbarians. Everything started to go wrong when Attila the Hun rampaged through the Western Roman Empire. To the Romans, this was a primitive culture. One Roman wrote that the Huns were so little advanced in civilization that they made no use of fire nor any kind of relish in the preparation of their food. To the Romans, this was like a battle against cavemen. It was like the modern war on terrorism we have today. One side was the most advanced and powerful country in the world, and the other was a group of vicious men who didn't care if they lived or died. But yet the Romans lost. Attila demanded half their empire. When they refused, he rampaged through their country, stealing their siege weapons and advanced technologies he went. By the end, the Romans had to meet all his demands. From then on, they were regularly paying the Huns massive tributes just so they didn't finish off Rome. So one of the lessons was don't train the barbarians to be better at war than yourself. Um, During the Soviet-Afghan War, the U.S. Army called Islamic fighters from around the Middle East to come to Afghanistan so the Americans could arm and train these Islamic fighters. Just as Rome trained the Alaric and the Visigoths, they gave them weapons. The U.S. trained Osama bin Laden and the Taliban and gave them Stinger missiles. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised that it turned out the same way. They've used these against us, right? This is what is going on. And the the last thing, and I did a show on China recently, Perhaps the biggest threat wasn't the people who were trying to burn Rome to the ground. In a way, the most dangerous problem may have been the people who were letting Rome, the Eastern Empire, and the Romans could never defeat. Early on, Romans and the Parthians tried to destroy each other, but they couldn't pull it off. The two nations were equally powerful, and it just wasn't worth it. So in the end, they called for a peace treaty and agreed to live side by side in relative peace. They entered a relationship as trade partners, didn't trust each other, and tried to beat each other up every day, every deal, a little like the United States and modern China today, and it ended up changing everything. Uh, When a peaceful hand Chinese diplomat tried to reach Rome, the Parthians stopped him and turned him away. The diplomat found out that the Parthians had been deliberately keeping the two nations apart so that they could control Roman trade. So we look at it today, folks. We look at it. We built China up. Uh, They're becoming more powerful. We have watched China become more powerful. I did a show on it. China and Russia used to fear a conflict with the United States because if they got in a conflict with the United States, nobody would benefit. Nobody would truly win. It would be... Mutual destruction. Yet they're getting ever emboldened that they can inflict more damage on America today than America can on them. They're stronger economically than us. They're building up a military. Russia's doing the same thing. While our government is pandering to the poor. And America's poor. I I, I find this funny. I I talked about this in my show on slavery, that there's been more um, Caucasian slaves throughout history. They complain about their lives in America. 
that they have not been treated equally or fairly. Um, I always find it funny how the poor are majorly overweight. They seem not to have a problem finding food and eating. Um, They seem to drive nice cars, cars, have nice cell phones, but we're not learning. We look at the inflation and everything. Now, as I said, um, I'm the 70s, 80 generation. I uh, graduated high school in the almost mid-80s. I want you to think of your years of high school, elementary school. I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. A, was I taught the Constitution? B, was patriotism made important to me? And C, what was it you were paying for products at that time? Now, technology has come up and made the production of products easier, right? Isn't it funny that as the production of products have become easier to create, yet the cost of products have increased exponentially and our debt is going crazy? Because once you start to pander to the people who want more from those who have more, it never stops. They got their first CARES Act check. They wanted another. They wanted another. Government wasn't helping themselves by mandating that businesses stay closed and that people um, have, uh, you know, are staying out of work and not socializing. Because when the population starts discussing issues like businesses and government and debt, uh, we, we start to get angry. But if we can stop people from socializing or gathering together, then it's a lot easier to control them. And people in debt are easier to control. So, Is America walking down the same path of the fall from Rome, but in one-fifth the time? We have to look at ourselves and say, yes, uh, we are falling like Rome. And most people have looked at it, uh, noticed that we are. Here are signs that an author, Charles Stephan, did in July of 2020. A very interesting uh, read. You can find it at uh, Charlie Stephan 6. Um, he talks about the seven revealing ways uh, America is collapsing. Um, correlations between America and Rome. He also was like me. He was enamored by history. Couldn't help but notice familiarities between Rome and the American Empire today. This is why I say it's important to look in the rearview mirror and remember things. As of 2017, the top 1% of the richest Americans controlled almost 40% of America's total wealth. In Rome, the top 1% controlled by only 16% of the country's total wealth. So we are in a worse situation than they were. Don't be deceived. The ancient Romans were more than upset by this wealth gap, just like Americans are today. We Americans have watched the salaries of professional athletes go through the roof over the past few decades. 
The wealth spent on our sports is beyond significant. It is truly a sign that our priorities are very badly skewed in America today. Even our amateur college sports generate a ridiculous amount of cash. Universities claim to be solely devoted to educating their students, yet their sports coaches have salaries that are 10 times bigger than any of their professors in America today. Romans were sports fanatics. While their sports were bloodier than ours, their passion was strong enough to justify the building of massive coliseums. There are hundreds of these stadiums in America today. The highest paid athlete in Rome was a chariot racer, Gaius. In today's dollars, he earned an astonishing $15 billion during his career. When we compare that, let's look at the uh, seven signs that America's collapsing just as Rome did. Cheap foreign labor. During its peak, Rome used foreign slaves to build their massive infrastructure. America's no different. American companies have used cheap foreign labor. While these laborers are not officially slaves, they're, they're very low workers, as I said before. They've done the same thing. They've controlled people by debt. I'm just restating what we said. Printing money does not save economies. It makes them you know, less secure. Underestimating people. It, it's just insane to me. You look at the comparisons of the Mayans, the Romans in the world today. And we are in trouble. Yet, I don't see people rising up to demand our Constitution be restored. I don't see red states standing up defend, uh, demanding that the federal government shrink. Do you? What will it take for you to protect your children and grandchildren? This is the question I ask all the time. When is enough enough for you? When it's slowly established and it's done over a period of time, people tend not to even notice that they're losing liberties and freedoms. In today's world, we're losing freedoms at an astronomical rate, yet it is in small bites. You know, they ask, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, just very small. How do you destroy freedom? The communists had it right very slowly educating the children about communism and socialism and not about the Constitution. You subtract the things that were the important foundations of America today and you insert what the communists wanted to do and that's where we're at in America today. So memories of the past, folks, they're important. You need to remember that life isn't free, that freedom isn't free. It demands work. It demands a cost. It, it, it has a price. Are you willing to pay that price is the question we all must ask. You're listening to the America Out Loud Network. The top of the hour, the bottom of the hour, there are always ads from sponsors who support freedom. It's important that we support these people. They're what keep voices like me on the air. Not that we get paid. We're not. We do this out of passion and love. It keeps the co company working that puts this out there. So if you have a product that is uh, marketable through the internet and not dependent upon a brick and mortar, please contact us at liberty at americaoutloud.com and let us know you want to know what our advertising costs. 
Also, find other shows. Share my show. When I post a show, share it on your LinkedIn. Share it on your Telegraph. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Because the only way we're going to get the message out is if we utilize things like America Out Loud and have these discussions, folks. These discussions are sometimes hard. Truth is hard to hear. People don't like truth. Hard truths are even worse. Uh, If you're married and you hear hard truths from your spouse, you sometimes get angry. That's what starts an argument because we don't like um, truths. It's just a fact. And some people say, well, your truth isn't my truth, Tim. Uh, That's true. But factual truths are always factual truths. Uh, Politicians might want to argue factual truths. They might want to say, no, there is uh, you know, no truth to what is being said on the America Out Loud network. Well, we tend to back it up with documents. Research the fall of Rome. Research memories of your past. Look at how things were 20 years ago in your life today and ask yourself, am I more free today than I was when I was in high school or college? You're probably not. And that's the answer we all have to look at. 